By the sun-streaming rivers it hovers, by the flowers and reeds where earth tickles the sky, itself a little purple sun in the warmth, whose tail extends for balance, whose wings, the blessed envy of those who watch from below, disappear it into the blue. Into the sun, forget that dragonfly, until it lands on you. Hey everyone, welcome back to Solocene. This is the 15th episode in our internet semester. And today, Aaron started us off with a poem. Would you like to tell me about the poem? Have you ever read one of the Solocene zines? Yes. So in the third one that we made, the nature zine, there is a character who we affectionately term the tour guide, Mm -hmm. who I like to kind of loosely think of as the Solocene mascot. And he's a dragonfly. Mm -hmm. And today, as with last week, I set out to write a poem somewhat thematically relevant to the questions of the episode, which are ASMR and also like professional uses of the internet in the office, let's say. But I thought that both of those would be quite unsolicited topics for a poem. So I kind of thought, what's the opposite of those things? And I think a dragonfly by a river is is close to that. And the sounds pertaining to it are close to the opposite of ASMR in my eyes. And also, there is the fact that we like to joke about my tastes very closely align with those of a young girl, mm-hmm. perhaps going through her unicorn phase. And also, I think like an old, old woman who gardens, who has like a dragonfly charm and wind chimes and stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's a really great look into Aaron's psyche. I really liked that poem. I like, I just like the image of it using its tail to balance. Yeah. Really sweet. So to kick us off, we're going to be talking about ASMR, which stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. Do you know who coined the term, Aaron? Biden? One would assume a scientist, yeah. some kind of expert in how our brains work, but nay, it was just a woman on Facebook. But she could be... No. Oh. She just likes the feeling... <laughs> This episode is going to be hard for me to talk about because it grosses me out. But ASMR is basically a category of video and audio online, and it refers to the feeling you get. Let me try and convey the feeling to people. Yeah. Because not everybody experiences ASMR from these sounds. Actually, very few people do in the grand scheme of things. It's like a few million people in the world do but they're very committed to the feeling. But the feeling is like when you're a young kid and you get into like the flow state of playing a game or when like you're on the playground and your friend like brushes your arm. Like that's how people describe the original feeling. And it's like, I feel like that's a kind of universal thing when you were a kid kind of having these like almost dreamlike experiences when you're a child. Yeah, maybe because your senses are a bit more open, let's say. Yeah. I think it's also tied to goosebumps, so yeah. because it's usually sounds. Mm-hmm. Maybe we could say it's it's somehow analogous to getting goosebumps by hearing a nice moment in a song, yeah, or something like that. Like that's what it seems like, and people are hacking it with these videos that they realized can evoke that feeling of tingliness yeah. or goosebumps with these sounds, but they're not like someone singing nature sounds like you would think are nice sounds they're just a collection of 
generally yucky, sometimes neutral but slightly annoying sounds, <laughs> like a hairdryer blowing yeah. or someone talking really close into the mic. I think, so it's a genre on YouTube and also on Twitch. People listen to it live sometimes. They tend to be quite low sounds, quite close to the microphone. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when I listen back to this podcast, say when we're editing and we have to do it with like the noise quite far up so that we can hear the, the tiny uh, mistakes we make. Sometimes I, I hear what could be could go into an ASMR compilation and I always shudder to myself. Or sometimes I kind of laugh and say, oh, Alicia, listen to this gross sound that you made by accident <laughs> and play it back. And you go, ah, deleted, deleted. Yeah. We are like anti-ASMR podcasters mm. in terms of how we edit. I'm sure some people maybe keep sounds in because they find them neutral oh, or they, do, yeah. they find them pleasant even but if i hear like one of these noises in our podcast yeah it's instant delete instant mute and also if it's a podcast that i'm listening to just as a fan or as a listener oh the fated episode where someone brings food on or thinks it's a good idea to drink on the microphone the the shivers inside of me are just so strong shiver me timbers so (laughs) so something i noticed also so we talked to some of the about some of the sounds. It could be rubbing the microphone or playing into a with a with a hairdresser or a comb or like crinkling leaves really close to the microphone, moving like slime or jello. Something I've noticed also is that this has kind of infected what I would call like cooking Instagram or cooking YouTube, cooking TikTok. Mm. It all seems like it's it's been kind of perverted by ASMR to be as closely mic'd as possible, which is why I, I really dislike that side of the internet also. But I think it's it's hard to ignore what is the the dominant form of the genre that I've noticed anyway. I just did a, a cursory search for this episode because it disgusted me to to watch or listen <laughs> for more than like two minutes. Did of you video. watch anything? Yeah, I um, didn't. But what I'm saying is that they are almost all just young women whispering into the microphone. So I think I think that appeal, which is some weird combination of a the comfort of like a mother figure. And also just the sex appeal. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's some kind of weird Freudian combination of these two, which I'm probably unqualified to speak on, but that's that's what I see in it. Yeah, so I have two theories. Okay. Do you want to hear them? I don't know. So the first theory that's less pleasant to talk about is exactly that, in that I feel like ASMR is a kind of gateway into more explicit content, and it doesn't need to be necessarily explicit in like the x-rated sense but it might just be more intense like violence it can be a gateway to and it can be a gateway to just like really obscure behavior that people are regarding on youtube because when i was reading about people's experience it's all anecdotal there's been no studies on this but from anecdotes people say when you start watching asmr every day you need more of a high to be to have the tingly feeling so people would get into these kind of weirder videos because it started off mainly as people whispering or even just like haircuts because that's like a feeling you get when you're having a haircut. So it's kind of like a simulated experience. Yes, yes. But it's then gets into more extreme stuff of things being violent or things being like kind of overtly sexual. And I think that's then a gateway into just like right. more stuff. So that's my first theory. I don't want to I don't want to like cast too much of a negative light on this because I, I do think it's probably mostly benign and I feel like it sounds like we're being very judgmental to the people who experience this, which by all accounts, like they don't choose to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it's a thing that some people get tingly when they listen to those mm-hmm. things. But yeah, I do think it, it gets kind of sad 
and it's kind of mimicking intimacy. Like even the hairdresser thing you said, the reason that sound is, is evocative, even in people who don't get the tingles, is because it's always close to your ears. And also because trips to the hairdresser, I think, are often quite formative or quite evocative memories from when you are a child. Mm. So like someone whispering, especially in the way they tend to do in these videos, has a certain connotation of intimacy, right? So I was kind of interested in the types of people who like this versus the type of people who don't, mm -hmm. because I think it's it's a bit of a of a Marmite situation where you either love it or you hate it. Mm -hmm. I can imagine some people being neutral, and to some of the sounds, I am quite neutral, but yeah. almost all of them evoke or invoke uh, an anger in me or a disgust, mm -hmm. and that's what you were kind of referencing as well at the start. So as you said, there's a there's an unfortunate lack of real scientific data on this. Although I did find a few studies that were trying to poll ASMR participants versus non-participants and finding differences in like traits such as neuroticism, openness. And I think that generally makes sense because one of the biggest benefits people purport or people claim of it is reducing anxiety, lulling them to sleep, kind of comforting mm -hmm. them like that. And also I think it's interesting because it seems like there's a thin line between loving it or enjoying it and hating it mm -hmm. in that both of them, in both cases, the sounds are prompting a, a visceral physical response in you, right? It just mm. it goes one way or the other. And I think the hatred of those sounds is called misophonia or something like that. Okay. Um, there was also a study I saw by the University of Essex, which used this kind of interesting flower metaphor to distinguish between people by different levels of sensitivity, both to internal and external like social stimuli. Mm. So it's kind of like the HSP, highly sensitive people type of thing. And there were three different categories. The the, the most sensitive, the, the highly sensitive people would be orchids. The least sensitive, or what I liked reading it as, the most emotionally resilient were dandelions. And then everything in between was tulips. And it's like for society at large, by this test, it generally is like a third each. It's generally like 30%. Or, or thereabouts of society is is one of these three, and I think I'm definitely more of a of a dandelion. But of the ASMR responders, fifty six percent of them were orchids, or the most hmm. sensitive, and only twelve percent of them were the dandelions. Ah, oh. so that makes sense. Receptiveness, you know what I mean? Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense in one. And, but in the other, I feel like if you're highly sensitive, perhaps those sounds could be overstimulating, but maybe they're not overstimulating if you enjoy them. I don't know. But I read a bit about like the physical response of like what this is, like what happens in our brains, because there are a couple people, like PhD students, who tried to figure it out. Um, and one guy said, perhaps it's a type of seizure. <laughs> and it, it reminds me of something that you do, that you tell me about. Okay. That I can't experience. Sure. And that is sending a shiver down your own spine. <laughs> it's not quite that. It's not quite that. It's more like a jolt of energy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know why I thought it's so funny. It's just, yeah, you send a jolt of energy down your body. It's yes. like if you're getting hyped up or something, you can basically exactly. do it on command. Yeah. And then I was like, perhaps a type of seizure. No, but I think this is more of a relaxant, right? Like this reduces the heart rate. Mm. The ASMR. Yeah. Anyway, that was just interesting. And like, 
I'm sure it's fine because obviously people do it all the time and it seems safe. But I didn't know this, that some types of seizures can be perceived as pleasant. Really? Yeah. So it's like, perhaps this is one of those pleasant types. And I was like, huh, weird. The second theory that I have is inspired by this parenting account that I follow on Instagram. And she was talking about how whispering versus shouting impacts our relationships and she told this parable of someone asking like why do we shout even though we're so close when you're in an argument it's like it's obviously not for them to hear you because like they're right there you could talk quietly and they'd still hear you and you just say your points in a low tone and then in this version she told it was a monk saying it but I mean I'm sure it could be LeBron James or whoever is saying this but the person explained that we shout when we're angry because there's a a metaphorical distance between us and you're trying to kind of shout over the distance. And I was like, that kind of feels right. Like there's so much noise even in your own head that you feel like you need to shout to be heard. I feel like it might just be because it's a it's a nonviolent way of getting out the energy. Yeah. Um But that who am too. I to argue with LeBron? Or this random <laughs> monk. I don't know who said it. But then it said then when you're like comfortable with someone, you'll speak at like a normal tone. But when you're really, really close with someone, you might not even need to speak or you might whisper. Mm. And then this parenting account was talking about how whispering can really cultivate a relationship between parents and kids. So like kind of doing it as an activity of like whispering to each other. <laughs> and I was like, that sounds really weird, but it also kind of makes sense because it's trust. You have to trust the other person's listening. You trust to be close enough to them to whisper. And I feel like that's what these videos kind of emulate is yeah. like these really intimate moments that we lack. Mm-hmm. And not just the the talking ones, but also like the cook with me ones. It's like we usually cook alone, but we used to cook in community or even just cook with your family. Yeah. That, I mean, what about study with me? That's I mean, usually that's not about the sound, but it's just about the, the, the visuals of it while music plays over the top or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, as we as we said, there isn't much data on this, but just my gut feeling is that it's that sect of disenfranchised maybe isolated young men predominantly watching and listening to these things that the internet loves to kind of appeal to and talk Mm -hmm. about yeah this reminds me i saw another funny thing on the internet this week and it was saying like imagine churning butter for hours with other podcasts to listen to and i was like that's funny but then someone commented they would do it together and they would tell stories so it was like it was as if you were listening to a podcast like it's not like people were just like alone in their house doing chores with no stimulation. It's, it's like just they like were... a podcast in real life. Yeah, exactly. It's but it, next I level. found that funny. Imagine whispering to your children in public. Like, let's say you're collecting them from school. No, but there's <laughs> there's a certain sometimes... No, I, I'm just You saying. have to. Yeah, that would be creepy. And also, like, if you were... <laughs> I'm just coming up with skits, but if you were, like, <laughs> trying to wake them up and you're getting really angry because they weren't waking <laughs> up, and you're just whispering angrily up the stairs. Good morning, sunshine. Like that was accidentally SMR, maybe. Yeah, maybe. But I do think, yeah, you whisper in moderation, but maybe whisper more. That's the Solazine recommends for this week. So, so ASMR in real life. Yes. Or just do things, maybe. Yeah, like go cook, get a haircut. Actually, cook. cook. Um, crinkle some paper. I don't. I just wrote in Solazine, no, but yeah, I suppose there is more nuance to that. And also, I don't know because, as you said, it's such a small percentage of people. It's it seems wrong to cast too much judgment and be like, this is gross. What I don't like is the kind of unhealthy dependence on it, for instance, to sleep. Yeah. Because I, I don't know if I mentioned that in last week's episode on YouTube, but at times in my life, 
I've like almost driven myself to a dependence on watching random YouTube videos to get tired to fall asleep. And yeah. I don't like that. So that's it's just another example of technological dependence. And I do wonder, again, this is wholly unfounded, but I do wonder if the internet age, the modern age is kind of increasing the proportion of people who feel such anxieties and whether if you just plucked like a million people from the 1600s, if there even were that many, I'm not sure, whether there would be less of a proportion of them who would respond to ASMR. I feel like mm. there would be, but again, that's just a gut feeling. Yeah, because there were some people talking about their experience. They're like, yeah, I was like super depressed and this just like not cured my depression, but was a really great help. But then I think if you just solely relied on this, yeah, you'd kind of get dependent on it. And it's not like YouTube's going to like disappear overnight, but I also just feel like any dependence on the internet isn't especially healthy in case... Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, it's you're unhealthy. like away from it for a while or whatever. Well, even it's just unhealthy. It's just an unhealthy way to live, I think. Mm-hmm. We should strive to be to stand up on our own um, as much as we can. Last week, we did a kind of week in the life of our internet our own dependencies Mm -hmm. and we thought we would do a follow-up this week trying to one reduce the screen time and two just see how being a bit more intentional about it would shape it because last week we tried to be as representative of our general life as possible and i had a couple kind of points of advice for anyone who was trying to do a similar thing in their own life perhaps and one of them like they're, they're actually both very simple but one of them is just turning devices off because then it's a bit of a pain to actually turn it back on. It is, like let's yeah. say you were in the morning, one of your routines is you check the weather, but then that lures you into checking your emails and then checking your IG or whatever. So it's like if your phone was just off, you'd kind of be like, Oh, I could go check the weather. I'll just look outside and eyeball it like that. Mm-hmm. So it's it leads you obviously into a bit more ambiguity sometimes and you might have to be patient with regard to some things like, oh, I, I can't look that up now. I'll wait. Mm-hmm. But that also kind of builds your your memory and, you know, fill, inherently kind of filters out the things that you would be doing on said devices. Yeah. And another one along the same lines is when they're on, keeping them off your body. Mm-hmm. Like I find when I have my phone in my pocket, I will kind of reflexively open it mm-hmm. much more often than if I just had it, let's say, on a shelf or even better in a drawer or something like that. Mm-hmm. Those are great tips. I've found when I'm walking, keeping it in my backpack is really useful and still yeah, in exactly. my pocket. And I didn't even think about that, but it's definitely useful. Like right before we recorded, I was helping someone find directions. So before we left, I looked up the address and then we were walking. It was like seven minutes away from where we were going. And like I had to rely on my own memory of the address and like picture of the map that I had put in my head. And I was so tempted to take out my phone. Because the person I was with was very doubtful of my navigation skills. <laughs> I won't shout out who they are. You know who they are. But <laughs> they were very doubtful and kept being like, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? And I was like, yeah, I am sure. I'm not going to check my phone. And then we got there and he's like, oh, good job. It's like, thanks. <laughs> you said that without any kind of upwards inflection at the end of the sentence. It's not like, yeah, I am sure. It's like, yeah, I am sure. Because you know, I was. Because so I was like, even if we got there and it didn't exist, the place we were going... Say it with your chest. Yeah. Another kind of advice I had is, again, like these are all just the most trite things, but don't wake up with it. Because I find that even if you have, if I have an alarm um, on the phone, then I'll check something and check something else. And even if you're, you're only on it for like a minute or less, mm-hmm. I just find that when my mind is still in this very kind of vulnerable, I picture it like a really ductile, like clay before it's set. Like it's still mm. very kind of wavy. 
and like to be shaped. If I even look at screens for like 10 seconds or more, I feel it kind of echoes through my mind throughout the day, whatever's on there. It's kind of like when they say, I don't know if this is actually true, but like when animals are born, the first thing they see is like imprinted onto them. Mm -hmm. So usually it's their mother, but sometimes they like... Form a bond with the farmer or whatever. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like that. And that's, that's also a shade of why I've been kind of rejecting lyrical music recently, because I just find the lyrics replay in my head over and over, even if I only listen to it a few times, especially at night. That's such a great evolution for you. When we first met, you were like, lyrics don't matter. They just, there's part of the song. And now you're rejecting lyrics. <laughs> well, I understand I it from a creative point of view. I do get that. Like, mm-hmm. just the, the voice as an instrument. But maybe I'm just becoming more of a, more of an orchid. I don't know. And another um, thing that I kind of tried to take into my own practice this week was depth, not breadth of reading. Because so often... As I mentioned before, I'll go down rabbit holes on mm-hmm. a browser and have like 10 open tabs and be like, this is neat, this is neat, this is neat. But then you barely remember any of it. And the stuff that you do remember is just the most surface level. So I think limiting yourself to just reading about one thing. It's like, mm-hmm. let's say you're kind of keeping tabs on seven different news stories. It's like, what's going on with Biden? What's going on with this Titanic submarine? What's happening in sport? What's happening you know, with... Elon Musk and Zuckerberg cage fighting or something like that. I don't. Um, <laughs> I don't think I made that up. I think that is a headline. Um, properly, if you're interested, like, you know, following mm. it. What's wrong with that? Like, in reading, engaging. Yeah. All that being said, we didn't do seven days this time because we're recording on a Friday. So it's mm-hmm. more like five days. So I kind of just looked at it per day rather than for the whole week. And last week, for reference, my items on safari were 210 a day and this week it's down to like 79 oh so decent that's a bit better and the screen time is exactly the same at one hours and 35 minutes but i think if we kind of draw a, a bit of a line between internet time and screen time if the screen time for me anyway if the screen time is less internet then that means it's more productive so mm-hmm. i'm ultimately happier with that yeah i think that's that makes a lot of sense i downed my like instagram time by quite a bit i barely used it all week there were like 15 minutes here and 15 minutes there my screen time was only down 18 percent for the week but say lovey you use it for pretty much the same things every day but all i could do is do my best to reduce the non-essentials and yeah i really i don't usually turn my devices off because of the nuisance of turning them back on but i was trying very consciously and even when i was preparing for the episode I was at a cafe and I had my laptop and my notebook, but I also had my phone, but I turned my phone off. Yeah. And I found two or three times while I was trying to prepare, mm. I like picked it up to like search something or to send a message that I was like, yeah. literally just wait like half an hour until you're done preparing and then you can turn it back on. But it's like it when it's off and like you pick it up and it feels dead because like, you know, how they're <laughs> like not haptic when they're turned yeah. off. It's like. What am I doing? It's also, yeah, that's, that's true. With the iPhones, I don't know if the, the new ones, I guess, don't have any buttons. Yeah, I don't but know. But when the button is like, it's not a button and it feels dead, it kind of reminds you. like It's kind of creepy. It's like, you, what am I doing with your metal hold, brick? Yeah, <laughs> metal brick. Makes you want to smash it. Yeah. Meme of the week. I will mime it again for you, as Thanks. I did, I think, two weeks ago. The shrug meme? Yeah, the shrug meme. Is it a famous person who's shrugging? Yeah. I don't know who it is. 
High School Musical 2 ring any bells? Well, there's lots of shrugging memes. That's there's true, one there of shock. It's the Zac Efron shrug is what I was kind of trying to reference. Oh, so that's I, from, I guess I didn't that's do from well. Bet on it. That's more. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a promo pic from High School Musical 2 of 2007 where Zac is shrugging. There's not much else to say. He, how would you describe his expression? It's a shrug, but it's, it's, it's a happy I, one. Have I told the story on here that I went to a High School Musical dance class a couple no, weeks ago? No. Just a quick little Solstein recommends. Just do something like that. <laughs> that was very fun. And we dissected this song. Oh. Bet on it. Bet on it. And so in that one, he's trying to decide between what he wants to do. Does he want to like go with his high school friends or does he want to like pursue basketball? So in that one, he is, that expression is like either or. It's not like a shrug. It's kind of like, what should I do? I don't know if I should do this. And it's like, he's looking at his hand as if that's one option, then his other hand is the other option. That is what happens there. Quite philosophical, really. Mm. When you were talking about that dance, I was mentioning that the it's kind of peer from High School Musical 3 is of angry Troy. Yeah. Is the connoisseur's choice, I think, compared to Beton. Scream. Scream. Where mm. he's, I just remember him like running around in the hallway like a gorilla or something. Just tearing down these <laughs> massive, like, 15-foot banners of himself. Yeah. Being like, I don't Again, know it's, do. it's almost Nietzschean. <laughs> Um, so this meme came big in 2015, usually partnered with the phrase, when your parents ask, when your parents ask where all your money went. So it's kind of, you're kind of like shrugging with like a smile, like an innocent smile. And I don't think there's much to it. It's kind of funny, I guess. I think it's somewhat interesting that after 15 episodes, we haven't really talked very much about memes from shows and movies, which is actually, Mm. I think the biggest source of memes. I yeah. had mentioned the Arthur one, but that one's so zoomed out that it's almost removed from Arthur. Mm-hmm. And I know this was even a promo pick from, like it wasn't in the movie, but there's something very kind of intertextual about it. And I also think there might be something to the fact that we are using this Disney Channel imagery from our youth to kind of convey innocence and certainty or just us mm-hmm. kind of shrugging in the face of, like this is... It's a it's a kind of um, shallow question about your parents asking where the money went, but it is speaking mm-hmm. to economic fragility in a way. Yeah, this is. I realize this is not the same Troy meme. There are a lot of Troy memes. I'm this is one about, of him in the green shirt. I don't remember the color of his shirt. It's just a white background, just a very oh, simple. Oh, that is pick. different because there's one from Bed on It oh, where he's also shrugging. I, okay. This is a different one. Yeah, it's not it's not from the film. Okay, this is the promo one. We still enjoy that bet on it analysis. Sorry. I'm not going to cut that. <laughs> still. <laughs> okay, but yeah, it is funny that we're looking back to this It's very stock, memory stock from our childhood. Yeah. Stock image. You do meme of the week next week. So yeah. I have a recommend for you. Okay. But maybe this spoils it. I'm not sure. Maybe I'll tell you off. Okay, off tell there. me off there. The guy who looks like he's in pain, I'm telling you on air. Okay. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Do you, I think his name's Harold or something Harold like that. Harold seems right. Because yes. I think he was in Montreal recently. I think I saw... No, I think I saw that too, him in front of the, the gold ring. Or the silver ring. The ring. The ring. The circle. I don't know what, what it's called. But... If you had come across him, would you have asked to take a picture? No, I wouldn't have recognized him. I just would have been like, oh, there's an old man. Yeah, like, he just has like white hair and is an old man. But I'll talk about him next week. And next week we should also talk about stock 
music stock footage and stuff. Yeah, that would be fun. I think that'd be an interesting combo because I was watching a sewing tutorial a couple days ago and it was 20 minutes and there was a 20 second stock just on loop. sound just on loop and I was like losing my mind, but I had paid for the pattern. So like therefore paid for this video and I was like, yeah. I need to watch this to learn how to make the dress. But it was driving me mad. I used to watch a lot of football compilations and they all use the same stock music to the point that it's almost ingrained in my in my memory. But anyway, the third question for today <laughs> is about professional uses of the internet, let's say in an office or how it has revolutionized particular industries and maybe where it oversteps and also how in the solo scene it will be. Almost non-existent. No, it was just it will be. That was just the the active verb there. Oh, it will be. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, did you know that it's illegal in Portugal and France to contact your employees outside of office hours? No. Yeah, I wish that was illegal here. Yeah. Because every single job I've had in my life, I've been contacted outside of office hours. Um, on average, it said like over fifty percent of people said it was like once a week that people. We're contacted outside of office hours, but for me, it feels like close to every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, it's not necessarily anything like demanding you to do work at the moment, but it's just like asking a question or like making a note for the next day. And it's like, whatever. But it does, after a while, it's kind of hard to shut off your phone and just be like, I'm going to go from five till nine, like in the evening, not have my phone on because then you're going to miss perhaps something important yeah that happened to me this week actually it did didn't when, it when um i had a shift that started at i think 10 o'clock and i woke up at about seven and i was like okay i know what time my shift is i'll get there for this time i'm just going to turn my phone off because mm-hmm. i won't need it and i arrived there on time and the person said oh but you should be over here which is i don't know a block away or something and i was like why and he said weren't you reading the chat and i said no and they just looked at me like i was an alien and i was mm-hmm. like i don't have my phone on me that's but i, I kind of got punished for it but also i felt a weird sense of superiority for having mm-hmm. to trudge around in the heat yeah. but yeah, yeah and you it's told annoying me, you looked back on it and it was only 20 minute yeah but it's still annoying is what i'm saying yeah so in the solo scene obviously it won't be annoying because phones won't be mandatory when they're not actually mandatory yeah, like if your job's at a call center, which I don't think will exist in the solo scene, but you know, like you're going to have to have your phone. Or if you're like my dad who does pest control, people call him to book the thing, so he needs a phone. Yeah. But if you are like me, someone who is like an assistant, I don't need a phone because I'm just right next to the person I'm working for. <laughs> like there's really no reason for me to be constantly contacted. Something else to mention, I think... I found this really interesting because I was kind of racking my brain at once because I'm not very familiar with like high level corporate work, let's say. And also because work, just in air quotes, is such a broad thing that it's it's very hard to speak about it generally. Mm. So I was reading some articles about how the internet has revolutionized various industries and various workplaces. And something I kept seeing repeated was that it has, quote, revolutionized customer service. And I was just thinking... It seems like that's only for the worst, though. <laughs> I feel like we shouldn't need so much customer service. Yeah, well, Things w- should just work. What I was just thinking in the solo scene, I don't want to have to chat with a bot on a website. And also, you don't really want to be, have to be on hold for like 45 minutes. So in the solo scene, customer service will just be like, you call the person, or you email them, or you meet up with them, 
or you send a letter, but it's a it's a thing. You know what I mean? Like it's a it's a nice person, Billy, let's say. Yeah. I recently and, had a positive customer service experience and I was like, hmm, like I talked to two humans, talked to them in French, props to myself because I felt very good about that. But I was like, huh, this is good. And they were just super helpful and it was like three minutes. In person. Yeah. Because there's a big difference. Exactly. Something else I think is of notes is when it comes to Zoom in professional cases and even like FaceTime in personal communication. I was thinking about how different people act compared to in real life. And I think that's mm -hmm. really interesting. Even young children who have grown up with it now being a normal thing, Zoom classrooms, FaceTimes with grandma because the quarantine bubble doesn't let you visit her or whatever. Like even with that, the way people act should be should be <laughs> studied because it's so different. It's really it's true. so awkward and so different. Yeah. And every let's say Apple keynote that you watch when they try and do the presentation of like some new FaceTime technology. It's like, that's not how people are, though, when they FaceTime. No. Because they're always, because those are paid actors. Yeah. But it's like, real people are just kind of staring. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of staring into the void, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because also, you're not going to just, like, sit there in front of your phone and, like, talk to them. Because normally when you talk on the phone with someone, you're kind of meandering, like, either walking or, like, doing the dishes or something, yeah. I feel like. But if you're on FaceTime, you just have to, like, stare at the screen and you're like, what am I... Yeah, it's just really awkward. It always is. It always is. Yeah, especially the Zoom classes. I never liked those very much. And I mean, I'm about to engage in a meeting after this. And it's like, I've never met these people. And it was the same when like school was online. It's like, I don't know any of you. And so the inclination is to like turn off your camera. <laughs> because it's that. like, why would I just kind of be the only one like smiling into the camera yes, for yes. half an hour? But Throwback to the Solocene Book Club. Yeah. It'll come back. Yeah, perhaps. Was that awkward though? Would it, would it have been, like, how different would it have been if it was in person? Would it have been much better in person. Mm. Like, it was. Because you can punch people. Well, no, but you can read people better. Yeah. I mean, like, everyone was kind of uncomfortable because there was obviously this weird thing where, like, some of them were, like, my friends that I knew really closely. Some of them were people I'd never met. And it was just, like, it took a while to kind of get any kind of rapport going or, like, comfort going but then once we did like it was fine because you're we had something to talk about like yeah, we're it, talking about a book it's fine but i still think there's an uncanny valley aspect of it that even texting and emails don't have because yeah. they don't those don't try to be real life yeah you know zoom is a bit it's a bit too familiar but yeah. that just makes its differences kind of stand out all the more to me mm -hmm. i don't know like if someone said okay we have to have a meeting about this thing for work First choice, depending on commute times, and I understand we'll get into work from home. I understand why people don't like to commute, but the first choice always is to just talk in person. Mm -hmm. And this is coming from someone who's very introverted. And the second choice will be some kind of text or email situation, mm -hmm. and then way down the list will be Zoom because it's just this awkward in between. Yeah, it's like just call if it like yeah, comes to call. that. Like I've, but I think we kind of feel like we have to do the Zoom because like, well, I don't want to lose the personal connection. But it's like, I feel like calling just does the same thing but better. I was reading that like about 50%, it was like 50 to 54% of millennials, so like young people, when they were doing work from home during the pandemic, that percentage worked till midnight every day because they couldn't get the work done. And I was like, that feels very strange because if you were in the office, like you have to, you basically have to leave at a certain hour. Yeah. And it's like maybe people were being inefficient or maybe their bosses were giving them way more work. 
but mm. it's just like I feel like the internet in that sense is just hindering people's lives so much because a lot of my friends even I talk to who work from home they're like well yeah like I'll have a supper break at like six and then I'll work till like nine it's like, but if you were in the office, like, that just wouldn't be expected. And I know people work overtime. It's always been a thing of, like, we need to just stay late. And it's, like, equally unpleasant. Yeah, but if people enjoy the work, then, yeah. then they, you know, if they want to work till nine, they want to work till night. Yeah, but there's something about it being in your home. Being yeah, in I your mean, bed. I think <laughs> that having a healthy, very simple kind of environmental split of a place for leisure, a place for work, a place for play, I think these are all very important things that obviously work from home misses out on although as i said i do understand people wanting to ditch commutes it seems like from what i've seen a lot of the push for work from home is in response to really annoying parts of corporate or office culture that don't actually have to exist though Mm -hmm. but people say well why would i want to go to nonsense meetings have some companies have like required lunchrooms or you have to take your breaks or like a 90-minute commute or just Mm -hmm. various inconveniences related to office or corporate life, which I think it's right that people should want that kind of change, but I don't think the response um, should really be a widespread adoption of staying in your pajamas at home working on it because I don't think it's good for us psychologically or socially in the long run, although I I understand the the desire for some workplace flexibility because obviously in the solo scene, people shouldn't really have to miss their kids graduation because they have to work or whatever which yeah. has, had been way too common for the last century or so yeah there will 100 percent be a four-day work week in the solo scene well i just think flexibility is a good thing mm-hmm. yeah yeah especially the commute i mean i can't imagine working a nine to five with an hour commute on either end it's like when are you gonna eat when are you gonna but again breathe? that's an infrastructural problem yeah there's easier not easier solutions harder solutions but better for the people. I was also thinking about internet-born jobs, so like the ones that are only created from the digital space. Mm-hmm. And I thought we could kind of reflect on this from creating and trying to grow solo scene because that's kind of what this is. But I read a quote in an article kind of saying, celebrating this, it said, you could work for a company that sells a product you will never see, let alone use. <laughs> and I was like, that just sounds awful. And I know products... We could think about that as like a material thing, but really most of the economy is companies selling something, whether it be a service or whatever. So it's like if it's consultancy or toothbrushes, if you like if you have no connection to it, that's not it's not a good thing to celebrate mm-hmm. becoming less and less close to, you know, the core of it. Because I think in the solo scene, like we've said this before, work is something pleasant that people like. Mm-hmm. People like to do it. So so I feel like that won't be exploited the way that it kind of is today. That like people like working and almost need to to like feel meaning in life. Like we enjoy doing work, even if it's kind of menial sometimes. But I feel like that inclination is exploited for people to do either overtime work or do work for things that they're very disconnected to. So talking on this through the social experience, because we kind of work from home often without it being that profitable but that's another story (laughs) but it's just kind of funny because it's like i think one of the ultimate goals for us would be to not have to like to have another space Mm -hmm. whereas there's so many people who are like oh it would be nice if i could just work from home yeah meanwhile we have the studio yeah the studio (laughs) studio apartment slash studio Mm -hmm. (laughs) well yeah i'm just gonna go ahead to the studio do a quick record then we do a but also the obviously we're talking about it not having a geographical tie, but also the time 
on like social media. Mm-hmm. Like that's something. Selling online, that's something else. Putting your your conversations online, like your voice online, there's something mm-hmm. um fundamentally different to that than there is to let's say if we were just in a shop. Yeah. Selling zines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very different. And then like all of our customers and air quotes or like listeners we'd know very few of them but exactly. if you were in a store like you would know all of them yeah not intimately but you would like recognize their faces but meanwhile there could be someone we pass on the street who's a listener and it'd be like yeah i, I think it can be it can be quite a not soul-sucking but quite a like demoralizing experience and it's why ultimately one of the goals for solo scene and i think ideally for most kind of online born businesses or projects is to have more real-world manifestation, which is kind of what the zines are for. But yeah, yeah. By the zines, people, we make handmade solacine <laughs> zines. It's true. We do make solacine zines. The only other thought I had was that often, in the name of sustainability, businesses do the work from home thing or do the no commute or whatever. They're like, well, it's more sustainable than us having all of these computers and all of these office spaces for you when you can just use your own. And the emissions of travel. Yeah, but it's like, that's just cutting corners and like yeah. making people buy their own laptops and making people pay for their own office space, basically. And that they're probably, if you're forced to work from home, going to need a bigger apartment for your sanity or going to need like a new desk at the very least because you didn't have a desk before. Like, I feel like it's just really externalizing a lot of costs in the name of sustainability, but really it's just the name of being cheap. I don't love that because I feel like companies will like do that, but then they won't actually tackle their bigger issues. They'll like, yeah, yeah. of course, there's an element of greenwashing to it. Yeah. Similarly, I feel like there's a an element of the workers driving the work from home movement also using those kind of things as excuses. Like, well, this is more sustainable, but really, it's like I don't want to have to get out of bed. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't like that. Yeah. I think routine is good. I agree. Do you have any fun jokes to close out the episode? No, I don't have fun jokes. I actually do have another pun. Um, Let me try and remember it so I can word it properly. Something like, what did the frog say when he was paying to the cashier? What did he say? Debit. It's kind of like ribbit. I know, it's (laughs) not that funny. Maybe if I delivered it like a croak. Debit.